If you would, open to Matthew 6, and if you could, place your finger at John 14, and once I read this part of Matthew 6, you can flip to John 14. Let's open in prayer, and then we'll take a look at this divine portion of Scripture. It's all divine. This is very unique. Heavenly Father, We come to you in the name of our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ, and along with my brothers and sisters here this morning, we we thank you together for your goodness and your mercy, your grace ever abounding for all who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this beautiful morning, this Lord's Day celebration. We do pray that your name would be magnified, hallowed, high and lifted up this morning from this class to the classrooms throughout the church, every age group, preparing us to worship together as the body of Christ, exalting your name, reminding ourselves of the grace that has saved us and the beauty of the law which drove us to Christ, which is no longer burdensome. We praise you and we thank you for the gift of prayer and help us to learn now the magnificence of prayer, that we might be more prayerful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew 6, known as the Lord's Prayer. In another account, you know, the disciples witnessing the the power of Jesus' ministry, no doubt in comparison to his prayer life, inquired of the Lord and, and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he lays out what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And it is a pattern for prayer. It's not a kind of mantra, but a, it's a pattern for us to follow. And he says, look, don't be like the hypocrites when you pray. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and the street corners so that they may be seen, that they may be heard, and so on. He said, don't be like them, verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He said, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That'll be our focus this morning. Um, an overview of that anyway, because in the weeks to come, we're going to look at each portion of the Lord's Prayer, beginning with uh, the Father in his hallowed name. But this, of course, the Lord's Prayer, and uh, I read a funny story this week. It says a father was overheard giving his son a tongue lashing for being so biblically illiterate. And he said to his son, you probably don't even know the Lord's Prayer. You know, a lot of sarcasm in his voice there. To which the boy replied, oh, yes, I do. And then he triumphantly snaps back. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And his dad says, I'm sorry, son. I had no idea that you knew it. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a sad story, but in some circles, the Lord's Prayer has been altogether forgotten. But yet, on, at, at the other extreme, it's been reduced to like vain repetition. The hope is that as we study the Lord's Prayer over the coming weeks, that, that we'll see the, the great pattern that it provides for us. Um, but, but prayer is something that we've been gifted with. And prayer is obviously communication with God. It's been said that prayer is the infinite power of God committed to the hand of mere finite man. Yet, tragically, prayer is often the most neglected of all Christian dis- disciplines, and our lives and ministries suffer for it. The fact is, the writer says, that there's a vital connection between our ministry involvement for the kingdom of God and prayer. End quote. And this prayer begins with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In the words of Augustine, he said, This is prayed for not as if the name of God were not holy already, but that it may be held holy by men. In other words, that God may, be, may so become known to them that they shall reckon nothing more holy and which they are more afraid of offending, end quote. You know, man's innovations in ministry today and their meager attempts at ministry are meaningless unless God's name is magnified, and that's our focus this morning. The magnification of God's name, the hallowing, the exalting of God's name. As R.C. Sproul has said, where God is not respected... Listen to this. This is great. Where God is not respected, it is inevitable that his image bearers will also suffer loss of respect. End quote. Now, that opening sentence of the Lord's Prayer, Hallowed Be Thy Name, is is a clear exclamation of worship. Father, hallowed be thy name. It's expressed here as a petition, no doubt but is most certainly not a mere personal request, but is a clear expression of praise showing us that this is God's own priority, by the way. God's priority is that his name be hallowed. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. Just a few. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord. (laughs) That is my name. My glory I give to no other. To worship God is what Psalm 60 or 96 8 says, is to give to the Lord the glory due his name. It is to, as Psalm 66 1 says, sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your what? Name give glory. The name. Of the Lord. Now, in biblical terms, God's name expresses everything that He is His character, His attributes, His reputation, and the honor that is due, along with His very person, the personhood of God. He's a relational God. He's high, He's holy, He is to be exalted. So, the name of God, therefore, signifies everything that is true 
about the Almighty. And you know when someone's name is ruined, that is to say that he has disgraced himself, right? We know when men who've ruined their names, reputation. You know, my wife isn't much of a football fan. I am. And one of her favorite players, though she's not much of a fan, did something a couple years ago, and as far as she's concerned, just, just ruined his whole reputation for her because of that particular act. He disgraced himself, spoiled his reputation, at least in my wife's eyes. You spoil your reputation by spoiling your name. So there's a lot in a name. If you give someone power of attorney, you're authorizing that person to act in your name. Puritan writer Thomas Watson wrote this, quote, While some petitions are locked in time, give us our daily bread, forgive us our sins, this one, hallowed be your name, is timeless. Isn't that rich? Those Puritans, boy. <laughs> you know? Now, at one, at one point in time, we were impotent in hallowing God's name until grace entered in our lives, amen? We were powerless to hallow his name. But like Isaiah, he's touched our lips with a burning coal. Isaiah 6. and says, your guilt is taken away. Your sins are atoned for. And thus forevermore thereafter we, what? Hallow his name. We hallow his name. And you know something? You think about world religions. Prayer is the main feature of every world religion. The major ones and the minor ones. The biggies and those that are really insignificant. They're all insignificant under the shadow of the one true God, but you know what I'm saying. And and quite simply, the reason men pray is that it's something that's innate. Because every human being is made, how? In the very image of God. Saved or not saved, every human being is an image bearer of God. God has placed this into those created in his image. To where they know. Even atheists know this. Even atheists, whether they admit it or not, when they're facing danger, when they're lying in the foxholes and bombs are going off surrounding them, oh, they cry out, don't let them fool you for a moment. D.A. Carson says this, quote, the census divinitatis survives even in atheists and agnostics, Latin for sense of divinity. Everyone has a sense of divinity, of the divine, regardless of what they say, regardless of what they deny. Man is a sinful, dependent creature, regardless of how high he lifts his fist against his creator. Now, as I said, prayer is the main feature of all world religions, but be that as it may, that reality in no way means that all praying is the same. Amen? (laughs) Recognize a a kind of sovereign creator uh, in naming him as you wish and then crying out to it, whatever that is or whoever they have drawn up in their mind, becomes no more than some dutiful type of recitation. 
or as Jesus referred to it as vain what? Vain repetition. Even the pagans have vain repetitions. Don't be like the pagans when you pray, he said. So that is to say that not all praying is the same. In most prayers that go up, never enter the presence of this hallowed God. Period. There's a mosque by my house. They bow down down three times a day. Their prayers do not enter the throne. They're praying to another God. And all other gods are false gods. Period. You dogmatic, darn right. (laughs) This is why, beloved, Jesus taught his disciples to pray what? In his name. John 14. To pray in his name. The only way to hallow the name of the Father is to enter in his presence by the name of his Son. Yeshua, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who is the only begotten Son of God. Amen? I know this is Sunday school. I get preachy, but I'm a preacher. Amen? So let's look at John 14. In our time of, here it is, in our time of study. John 14, 12. Jesus talking to his disciples, upper room discourse. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. It's all the same night, in case you didn't know. It's all one night in an upper room. In that night before the cross, chapter 14, Jesus said, verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Remember the context, immediate context? He's talking to his 11 disciples. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. That the Father may be what, beloved? Glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, as you know, many people, unfortunately, have taken this as a divine promise to ask anything of God and that he is therefore obligated to provide it. As though he's just handing over a blank check. You just fill it in as you like, and he must answer. You know, they act as though this is, this, this is a magic formula for opening, opening up Aladdin's lamp so that you can have all these gimme, gimme, gimme prayers, right? A lot of that is, is, is the reality of interpretation in the uh, charismatic movement. Amen, Bobby? Jesus says, truly, truly, verily, verily, all men, all men, I say unto you, that he who believes in me, the works that I shall do, he will do also. He said, greater works than these. Now, the key to that verse is the last statement, because I go to my Father. He's going to leave so that he can empower them for service. All right? And the only way that you, my 11 disciples, are going to able to do the works that I have done and even do greater works than I have done here on earth is if I go back to the Father. The one and only Son, back to the Father whose name is to be hallowed. And then, of course, when the second person of the Godhead returned 
back to heaven, the first person of the Godhead, he sent the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Ghost, to empower these men for service. And then when the Spirit came, this tremendous ability was dispensed to these disciples to do great and greater things than Jesus did. Now it's important we understand what that means. Greater is not greater in power, beloved. No one does greater works in power than Jesus. Okay? Please, we must know this. Not greater in power, but greater in extent. Not greater in quality, but greater in quantity. And they were able to do so because he went away and sent the Spirit. Now, this is kind of like when Paul said in Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. The Spirit of God. So again, this is greater in extent. It's not greater in power. No one could do works that are greater than Jesus. And if they could, it would take away from the signs, miracles, and wonders that were present to validate his messiahship. The context here is an example, is that Jesus' public ministry lasted three plus years. The disciples, six more decades. Collectively, they would preach far more sermons than the Lord Jesus Christ himself did. Jesus never preached outside of Palestine. His voice had never gone out to the world of men outside of that sliver of land in the area of Palestine. Within his lifetime, Europe had never received the word of the gospel. Through the disciples, those first disciples, it would begin to spread and it continues to spread to 2012. Jesus' disciples went on to preach throughout the known world. And those disciples of those disciples have taken it to the four corners of the earth and continued to do so. So again, it's greater in extent. The gospel is spreading to an extent that Jesus never experienced in terms of his own public ministry. It's important that we understand this. Now, he saw it in terms of his own knowledge, amen? He's deity, he's God. He's all-knowing but not in his own ministry. So when it comes to the numbers and the extent and the powers and triumphs of the gospel, and that's the point, the gospel, not raising people from the dead, (laughs) not healing the blind and calling to people who have no arms, stretch out your withered hand and then it appears, he's not talking about that. That was unique to him and to the apostles. Signs of an apostle, signs, miracles, and wonders. But those things fizzled out. They faded away. So this, again, this verse has primary reference to the disciples, but so many take this to mean that we're going to raise the dead, we're going to heal the lame, we're going to heal the sick. Does God heal still? You better believe it. He can do anything he wants anytime he wants. But the norm of what the, the apostles experienced those signs and miracles and wonders in their life were also to validate their ministry, their apostolic role. Because there was all kinds of men walking around claiming to be apostles with all kinds of messages. 
And the only way to know who had the real message in that day was who had signs, miracles, and wonders following their message. We don't need that today because we have the Word of God. Amen? And we test everything everyone says in light of the Word of God. Not some ability to do this. You know, I've come across people who believe that they can do these things. So I tell them, go down to El Camino um, uh, grave site. It's a huge grave site down in southeast San Diego. I said, and just start, say, you know, go look at the name and say, so-and-so, come forth. And when, when you're frustrated, because not a one of them is going to come forth, come back and we will reason from the scriptures. Amen? No one's ever taken me up on it. You know, James 5 gives us some instruction. James 5 said, if someone is sick, don't say be healed. He said, call the elders. Call the elders of the church, anoint him with oil. And in the first century, uh, oil was used for medicinal purposes. Right? Put some oil on the wound, put hands on him, pray for him. That's the instruction. It's what uh, uh, Luke 10, the Good Samaritan, he put oil on him. That's the idea. Give him a little oil for medicine. Pray for him. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. So here, back to John. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's staggering. Whatever you ask. Small things, great things, covering the large, covering the small. And if you think about this, beloved, here's the 11 disciples. They've been walking with Jesus for three years plus here. And he says he's going to go away. He's been providing everything for them. Look, you know what they've witnessed. He supplied their needs. He fed them. He he taught them. He led them. He at one time provided tax money. You remember where they found it? Go, throw your line into the water, catch a fish, and when you catch him, open his mouth and pull out the money in his mouth and then go pay the tax man for you and for me. That kind of provision. (laughs) And now he says, I'm going to go away. He says, when I go away, whatever you ask, I will provide. Man, that's a promise. Fantastic promise. Whatever you need. I'm going to be absent, but I will provide. You know, Paul said that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And he does that for you today in Christ. So the gap where God is, where he is, and where we are is instantly closed through way of prayer. It's a privilege that we have. It's a great privilege we have. He's going to be their source of all that these disciples need, and he wants them to know to stand ready because he's standing ready to meet their needs. So therefore, ask, and you must ask in my name, which we'll look at in a minute. So they're going to intercede, and he's going to intervene, basically, what he's saying. When we intercede, right? Intercess, intercession is intercession. Intercession is not prayer. Jesus intercedes for us continually, right? He grants us access and a right standing before God as our intercessor. So intercession is not prayer. Intercessory prayer is prayer, right? We intercede in a prayerful way for one another, right? That's why you go to your brother or sister and say, hey, would you pray for me? 
and you fill in the blank. So we pray for them, we're interceding. But he's the one that intervenes. He makes provision. So having encouraged them with this, whatever statement, whatever you ask, I will do, Jesus adds an all-important qualifier here. In the middle of these two commandments, and this is the one and only key that opens the door to answered prayer. This is the one and only key that grants you access to rightfully pray to the God whose name is to be hallowed, the Almighty. And everything hinges on praying in his name, the name of Jesus of Nazareth. So now we want to ask, what does it mean to pray in his name? It's not simply something that we throw at the end of a prayer as a formula. First, it means to have access to God, true access, only in the name of Jesus. There is no means of entrance to God whatsoever. There can be no basis of acceptance before God apart from his only begotten son. That is his person and his work. You could say his work and his worth. He's the only name. Jesus Christ is the only name given unto men by which we must be saved. If you ain't saved, God don't hear. Unless it's a Holy Spirit-initiated prayer of repentance, which begins the whole relationship. It means that we pray in his person. The name of Jesus means all that he is, all that he's done, all of his worth. So, you are praying in your full identification in him. You could say, Father, here's my request. Almighty God, here's my request. I'm asking this because of what Jesus has done for me. It's the only way anyone gets to heaven. So that's the first thing it means. It means to have access to God, the Father, only in the name of the Son. Secondly, it means that we're, we're pleading by way of the merits of the Son. So we're granted, we're asking to be granted these things because of all that Christ has accomplished for us. No one approaches the throne of God without coming in Christ's name. That's the point. Very important. So you have to remember this with you know, any of your friends who, who want to get together for a little prayer meeting. You know, after 9-11, I think I told you the story, we have Muslims down the street, and I invited people over, it's, it's an opportunity for the gospel. Um, but we're not having any prayer meeting together, because your God ain't God. I didn't say that blatantly in my living room, but, you know, I got invited to the mosque a couple weeks ago from my neighbor for their outreach day. I said, man, I'm a preacher of the gospel. You know, you're, I think their Sabbath's the Friday, Friday. I said, you know, the real Lord's Day, Resurrection Sunday, I'm preaching Christ, so I'm not going to be there with your false ideals. So through his name, that is through the way of his substitutionary death, the active and passive of obedience of Christ is what grants us access to the throne of grace. It's Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, 
since we have confidence, confidence, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Only the flesh of Jesus is access provided. It's only through the flesh of Jesus, broken, his blood shed, that that that, that middle wall of separation, that, that, that curtain in the temple between the Holy of Holies and the holy place was, came down, granting us access. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Isn't it great to enter into the presence of God with a clear conscience because of the atoning work of Jesus? And you ask these people of these other religions, how do you get to heaven? They have no guarantee. How can your sins ever be forgiven? We know with certainty how and from who and by who. So praying in his name means that we pray consistent with and in agreement with the perfections of Jesus, the Son of God. That is praying in agreement with the will and the character of God. It's all wrapped up in the Christ, the Son of God. Remember what Jesus said when he's confronted by the Pharisees? And this is when they really wanted him dead. You know, he's forgiving people for their sins and such. Jesus said in John 5, 19, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. See, this is perfect unity. The very essence and nature of God the Father is the very essence and nature of God the Son, which is the very essence and nature of God the Holy Spirit. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Did you see? Whom he will. In his name ties us to the will and to the character of God, which is identical. Perfect unity. So in the ancient world, a name meant the totality of all that a person was. That's why you read all this name stuff in the Bible. So we pray in conformity with Jesus' character. In accordance to his truth, to his holiness, to his sovereignty, to his might, to his eternality, righteousness, immutability, mercy, grace. All of these wonderful things. So are we praying for that which Jesus would endorse? That's a good thing when we pray. Is this prayer line up with what Jesus would endorse? Right? To line up our desires, with our purposes with his. Where we grow to seek what he seeks. To desire what he desires. To do what he would have us do. Many people say, you know, would, would Jesus do this? Well, the better question is, would Jesus have me do this? Because we certainly can't do everything that Jesus did, amen? Remember those bracelets, what would Jesus do? 
All these things, these little fads that catch on. It should be, what would Jesus have me do? Because I'm in union with the Father through the Son. Because there's a lot of things Jesus would do that you'd never be able to do. Amen? So our priorities, as we grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, begin to line up with his. So the gimme, gimme, gimme prayers kind of fade away. Right? So asking the Father in the name of Jesus is to set aside our own will and to bow to the perfect will of God. Even Jesus did that. In the garden, again, Father, if there's a way, let this cup pass from me. It was the cup of what, beloved? The cup of God the Father's wrath. But nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If there's any other way for man to be saved other than me drinking this cup, may it be, but not my will, thy will be done. And as we grow in Christ, we begin to pray like this. Not so much so as a new believer, but as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, sitting under the word of God, growing with a greater understanding, we desire and we want our priorities to be lined up with his. It's just part of maturity. That's why a lot of Christians who've been walking with the Lord a long time and they're still sucking on milk, they haven't even, they can't even digest the meat of the word yet. Their prayers are very milky, typically. So the main objective in prayer is not the fulfilling of our own well-being, but the glory of God's what? We started with it. His name. The glory of of God's name. So when Jesus taught us to pray, he made it clear, the highest aim is the exaltation of God's name. Now that's hard on the flesh, man. Come on. It's hard on the flesh, right? But as we grow to crucify the flesh and we grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, we mature to pray thy will be done. In John and Matthew 6, 9, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Just all we have to do is read some of Jesus' own prayers. In Matthew eleven twenty five, thank you, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Another time, John twelve twenty eight, Father, I glorify your name. In John 17, 1, the high priestly prayer of Jesus, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Perfect unity. The Father and the Son. In addition, we, we know that the Father is uniquely honored when the Son is honored, Right? Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to what, beloved? Oh, yeah. Every knee. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, in every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. So to pray in Jesus' name promotes the glory of of the Father. In John 10:30, Jesus said, I and the fa- I and my Father are 
one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. All that is the perfect will of the Father, you have seen manifest in and through me, the only begotten Son of the Father. And then there's this staggering promise again in verse 14. When you pray like that, when you learn to pray like that, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That's the anything that will get answered right there. Anything. Because I'm praying in line with the will of God. And I'm growing to pray like that. So the loving Lord Jesus, wanting his disciples here to be comforted, gives them three great revelations. Number one was the revelation of his person. The Son of God. The second was his power. And the third was his promise. What a great promise. Person, the sonship. Power, anything you ask. His promise, I will do it. So he's affirming here that he's operating on their behalf. And today, beloved, he's operating on your behalf. On your behalf. Because of his redeeming love which provides us union, the perfect union of the Father and Son. We are in that perfect union as redeemed sinners saved by grace. So he cares in the same measure for you. He cares in the same measure for me as in, in, in our prayers. As just, he's just as concerned for us as he is and was for uh, the 11 disciples. So we can pray, Lord, increase my faith to believe you for this kind of power. Help me to understand this kind of prayer in order that I can see you really work in my life. I know you're working in my life. Help me to mature to see it from a more biblical perspective. Now, this spiritual discipline requires uh, exercise of faith. Faith. It's an intentionality of the will, for sure. You know? There's work involved in prayer, amen? I mean, it is work. We're not working for anything. But there's a work involved here. You know, it takes effort. Man, how distracted do you get when you pray? You ever read like a page of the Bible, you have no idea what you just read? Are you kidding me? I study the Bible almost every day, and I'll go and just read, like I'm reading through Mark's gospel right now, just for my own devotional time. And the other day, I was, oh, I was sitting on my front porch, I read a, a whole chapter, and it didn't even like register in my head. So what did I have to do? I had to go back and work to what? Focus on what I'm reading. Prayer, same way. You know, you're praying and then all these thoughts just, they come out of nowhere. It's like a bunch of debris. I heard one pastor say once, when you're praying and those things happen, just think of a river with all this junk floating down it. And as this stuff comes in, let it float by and then refocus with clarity and continue on in prayer. Because it happens to all of us. So don't think you're the only one. You don't have to beat, down, you have to beat yourself down you know, with condemning thoughts and such. That's part of the spiritual battle. That's spiritual warfare. Because prayer is powerful. 
in prayer lined up with the will of God for the glory of the name of God is very powerful because according to Jesus here, he says, you know, when that's the case, ask what you will and it will be done. Now his timing is different than ours many times, amen? I mean, I know I'm praying for this thing and the Bible speaks clearly about what God wants of his church, for his church, from his church, but man, it just don't seem to be happening right now if that were the case. But then all of a sudden, something happens. It might not be a good thing, but all of a sudden, everything you've been praying for now begins to to manifest itself. It's just the timing was, my desire and the time was off from his because he was doing something bigger and greater that we can't see. So all prayers must be by the access of the name of Christ, that is by faith in the sufficiency of his perfect atonement for our sins. Because there's no other way to approach a God who's holy, which means he's separate from his creation. He's the only access. A book came out in 2005 written by, uh, I think it was Brian Chappell. And he entitled it, Praying Backwards in Jesus' Name. Anybody read that book? It's a great book. Praying Backwards in Jesus' Name. And his aim was twofold. Negatively, in the book, it was to get Christians to think with regard to discouraging them from making use of the name of Jesus in prayer, prayer merely as a way to end prayer. Blah, 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 blah. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> so that was the negative aspect. You know, in other words, you know, for, for, for praying, you know, as a means of selfish gain, basically. But then positively, in the book, it, it was to get Christians to begin their prayers thinking about the name of God. The name of Jesus, which grants us access to God the Father for the glory of the name of God in hope that their hour praying would be kept in line with his desires, his passions, and his agenda. So it's a great thought. Praying backwards in Jesus' name. So as to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? That's the end of our study today. The name above all names. So, hopefully this will be an encouragement for us all. Because I think if there's one place that that believers feel the most beat up and self-condemned is probably in the area of prayer. Probably. Because we can never pray enough. And in light of all the promises that we have with prayer, you know, we fail to pray as we ought. So many times we beat ourselves up and then we feel guilty so we, we don't hardly pray at all. Don't listen to that nonsense. Just pray. Amen? Don't pray. Because you, you are the only people in the world who have access. You being those in Christ. And he's quick to forgive. Amen? You know, I pray often for forgiveness of my faithlessness. 
prayerlessness and move on with confidence because our confidence is, our confidence is in him, amen? And then we can move forward. We don't have to be, you know, stopped, you know, wallowing somewhere. We can move and groove in the name of our Lord, amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, our Lord, our Savior, through whom we have access to your throne. We know we're weak because Scripture says we're weak. We know we're weak not only because Scripture says we're weak, but we see our own weaknesses, we see our own failures, but yet we are instructed to boldly approach the throne of grace because of the mediation accomplished and continuing by way of your Son. So help us, Lord. Help us to believe your promises, Lord, we ask. We do pray your name be hallowed throughout the land, that your name be hallowed in and through the church, that your name be hallowed in and through our lives, high and lifted up, that our lives would manifest the reality of the name above all names, that we are in union with the triune God. The only way of salvation, which is through your Son. We thank you that we've been given eyes to see, ears to hear, the word to understand, to embrace, and to trust, in spite of ourselves, for the glory of your name. As the name of your Son is high and lifted up. We thank you, we praise you, and we ask for your continued strengthening spirit of power in and through our lives. Again, for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.